Welcome to episode 13 of the Cult and Culture podcast. This episode features Lucian Greaves, the head of the Satanic Temple. This is probably one of the more insane, I, I don't... In depth? In depth. Um, just, I don't know, like out, out there, I kind of, cr- I didn't think we would be doing this and we did it. Um, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so if we have uh, Satan's right-hand man on our podcast, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> I think this will probably be our last podcast. Uh, Do you want to explain how this all came about? Yeah, so <clears throat> someone hit me up or tipped me off to a, a, a post, uh, like a, I don't know, like a, I think it was like a top five, like, spooky um, songs curated by Lucian. Like a Halloween playlist, kind of. Right? Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think it might have been, and, and and had Dead Cross on it, and I was like, wow, this is awesome, because I I had recently seen Hail Satan, the the film, which I re- totally recommend seeing. Um, it I'm, I'm an atheist, and it made me want to go join the temple. Um, but yeah, yeah so I, I anyhow I you know I posted it online, and then somehow there was a little bit of dialogue between him and I, and and I was like, dude, let's let's uh, get you on one of our podcasts, and you know a few days later. We we were on a plane out to uh, to Salem. Salem, yep. I don't know. Without further ado, yep. Here it is. Here I- it is. Ironically, episode thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just reached that level where people like, feel like I'm reliable enough to endorse to agents. You know what I mean? Like they, they, I don't know, like people who see like the work we do and sure. the fact that I do go out and consistently give lectures and things like that, that I, I think just knowing that people follow up is a big thing. You know what I mean? Oh, of course. But maybe it's like a lot of people, like someone's like, like I guess in a in a musical you know perspective they're like hey there's this band so and so and you're you know like a promoter or a booking agent is like I don't know who the fuck that is or like hey there's this band oh yeah I've heard of them you know so like as long as like you know people I'm sure like the film coming out people are like oh shit they're legit like that guy can d- definitely go and speak at our event or whatever yeah 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 I have to hand it to like some of the early invitations I got like yeah. American atheists and stuff like that there was like real concern over who we were you know whoa. Well, I people were worried that we trashed the hotel room or what, like what the Satanists would do coming uh, there. You know, this was early years. You know, all they knew was that Satanists were on the scene, and then they were, you know, and I didn't have a proven track record speaking either, so I had to hand it to like the early organizers. Really, like, yeah, come on, yeah. and do this thing. You yeah, know? there's a lot of uh, anti-theists too that would involved in the atheist community who don't like religion at all, like any religion, even one that you know is pretty much there to like combat other religions that overstep their boundaries yeah, yeah when i spoke at american atheists there was something like the pink mass thing like you, you didn't see like some of those early reactions that wasn't part of the film but like we we got angry messages from like people in the gay community who were like we don't need you know people looking at us now as satanists and all of that yeah yeah for being gay or whatever and like that was kind of confusing to me it's like well fuck you then you know like we're <laughs> We're doing this as Satanists, and there's a lot of gay Satanists. So yeah. you're you're you are or you aren't. You're yeah, not sure. Saying like everybody is one thing. I just didn't. We don't get that anymore, and I think it's because people are realizing more and more that we're not just this kind of like, uh, you know, transient prank that's just kind yeah. of coming oh, through sure. or whatever. That like we do identify as Satanists or whatever, and we're not sending a message like you know, gay rights is satanic or whatever. You know, so we don't really hear that criticism anymore. Sure. You know, as we keep doing what we're doing, we kind of change like the 
the yeah. dialogue in, in certain ways. That's hey, okay. are, are we going? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. Right, so. right, sure, yeah. sorry. Well, that is it. Testing it, so it's good. Okay, so that like my my whole like, idea was like, okay, let's start. It, it's square one, you know, like, I mean, I don't, I don't know even know what square one actually really is, but I, but I, but you kind of, even today when we were hanging out, you had, you had sort of mentioned like, um, the church of Satan and how they were like the, not into what you were doing. Right. right like, yeah. or, or, I mean, uh, whoever's left from it. Right. Cause it's dissolved. And it, it, yeah, uh, it's pretty much just the Twitter feed now. Like <laughs> they're, they're, you know, Anton LaVey wrote the satanic Bible had an active, organization congregation going in like the 60s i guess kind of fell apart in the 70s wouldn't still be a thing now if it weren't for the internet and now they have a, a twitter feed and to be fair they wouldn't like us no matter what we were doing you know you'll always see them saying that what we're doing is unsatanic we could be doing the exact opposite they'd still say the same uh -huh. thing because at the at the end of the day they simply believe they're the only ones who have the right to call Same themselves thing. satanists and they, they, at least they'll admit to that because they, you know, they're pretty open about the fact that they will not recognize any other satanic group as satanic because their idea is that LeVay codified Satanism with the satanic Bible and anything that deviates from that can't be considered properly satanic because uh -huh. LeVay is the origin of Satanism in their minds and the codification of Satanism exists only within the satanic Bible. And that's what it is. So they're kind of Levian fundamentalists, right? So, so any way you cut it, they're they're going to be against it. Whatever it is, they're against it. So what do you think about the Satanic Bible? They're like Bible? Satanic Christians. <laughs> <laughs> they're the gatekeepers of Satan. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about the Satanic Bible? Is that a that's a too is that too vague of a question? No, I mean, I read it when I was in high school, you know, and it was more about it being the Satanic Bible, you know what I mean, than it, than it was. That, that it was a great literary work, you know, and I feel like there's these kind of core ideals in the Satanic Bible of like personal independence sure. and autonomy that to me kind of translated into a more kind of, I think, a liberal perspective than the Church of Satan went into because, you know, if you take Satan as like this icon for the rebel against tyranny, it doesn't make sense to me the direction the Church of Satan went when they advocate for authoritarian politics, uh -huh. which they absolutely do. They're, they're openly authoritarian, and even when we contested them on this one time, they, they said that they're proud of it. You know, uh -huh. that's, that's the angle they take. And to me, that, that kind of runs contrary to the whole kind of Milton perspective of the paradise lost kind of Satan or the rebel against tyranny, even though they still kind of try to incorporate that, at least rhetorically in certain ways. But um, do you think so? Like they they do that now, as you said, like as a Twitter feed. But do you think like when Anton Lavey was part of it? Oh no! As it, a Twitter feed, you'd think they're pretending to be us. Like uh -huh. you, you you won't hear much mention of of authoritarian politics or mm -hmm. anything of the type. It's very much about uh, it's very it's very libertarian on the Twitter feed, okay. and it'll talk about freedom of choice and that sure. kind of thing. Um, and they they really don't go into that territory. But LeVay wrote very explicitly about authoritarian police state politics Whoa. and things like that. But the thing was, is like, there's certain things I give people a pass on as being a product of their time. Sure. You know what I mean? And, and like, uh, I think LeVay was, was definitely reacting to the 
situation in the United States between like the, the 70s and 90s and crime, social ills, they were, they were really bad. You know, sociologists still look over that time period and try to figure out what, what caused that. You know, a lot of the cities were war zones and LaVey's feeling, you know, as kind of an older eccentric hermit was that, you know, there needed to be some kind of police state politics to uh-huh. reign it all in. And you can see that kind of apocalyptic mindset in a lot of the culture of the 80s, like the kind of revenge porn action movies and things like that. Uh, there was an idea that things were getting worse and just weren't going to get better and that the only rational solution was, you know, larger police forces, martial law almost kind of thing. And so, you know, I think now we can kind of look at the data and see that kind of the, the you know, LeVay was a, very much an advocate for social Darwinist politics. Uh-huh. And he deracialized the social Darwinist politics, but the idea was meritocracy, you know, that the, uh, the, the, the strong triumph over the weak and that uh, uh, the individual um, was, took primacy over anything else. And, and that kind of Nietzschean perspective that sympathy was a byproduct of weakness and other types of things like altruism wasn't a, wasn't a reality, you know, that, uh, uh, that silly argument that because, uh, it makes you feel good to do it, then it's not true altruism, which uh-huh. makes you wonder like when was, when was, uh, wanting something as a motivating factor, something that nullifies it. I don't know. But in any case, uh, I, I just don't feel like there was necessarily the kind of evidence we have now to dispute those notions back in LeVay's time. You yeah. Know, I mean, at, the very, at the very least, I like to think that at his best, he was trying to take a scientific perspective on social problems. He was wrong. You know, I, I like to give him the benefit of the doubt and think that maybe if he could look at the world today, look at where the evidence was, maybe he'd adjust his opinion. And actually, I met some people who were friends with LeVay. Yeah. Uh, and they, they feel that he would have. They feel that at a certain level, he was a very liberal and progressive guy, but there was just the terror of the social circumstances sure. at the time. So, but who knows? You know, he is dead. I just feel like it's a shame that some of his followers can't follow more in principle rather than, you know, follow the letter of the law to its contradictory conclusion. But what about the fact that, to me, when I look at it, I guess it just seems like the Church of Satan had so much, it was almost like like comical, or, you know, like it didn't, I don't know, like it, there was like so many goofy aspects to it, which is like, that's not going to really help your, your, you know, your message or your, your fight. That's, that's what's strange. Well, you, have, you have a bunch <clears throat> of people now who identify with the Church of Satan who say that they've been defending this tradition of Satanism for 50 years and they don't seem to know the history of their own organization at all because they look at some of the things we do and say like, oh, we're just out there trying to provoke or piss off Christians or that we're just uh, huh. hot topic goth kids or whatever. And it's like, well, we could very easily look at look at them and say the same types of things. You know, I think the complete opposite. Yeah. I mean, even especially from the from like what the the film portrayed it would just seem like man these people like are really taking this to like a like a you know like a, a so, like a, a democratic socially politically aware level than like with the church of satan just seemed like kind of just like a campy i don't know 
Oh yeah, yeah. Bad, but, but you, you know, know, it's fine. I mean, the the theater is fine. The the like community aspects of the ritual, you know, and people have fun wearing their capes and horns or whatever. <laughs> or it's a kind of contained environment. Yeah, more power to them. But I mean, to be fair, it's not just the the Church of Satan that can ignore the deeper aspects of the Satanic Temple. We have a really difficult time sometimes getting media to pay attention to some of our more highbrow campaigns uh-huh. that are more well thought uh, issues in, in, in our, our approaches to them like people know generally that we're fighting reproductive rights litigation but you know we put out press releases about that it's that it doesn't get the kind of bites that those uh, real contentious headlines like Satan is putting up a monument in park or whatever yeah. those are the ones and then those are then those articles tend to talk about our non-theism as though that's just evidence that we're clever pranksters you know sure. we don't really believe you know they're not really satanists is kind of like the subtext if not stated explicitly sometimes in these articles which does us a real disservice but when we talk about like our gray faction campaign which i think i mentioned earlier yeah. you had never even heard of because yeah. we hardly get any press attention on this at all but we have a whole segment of the satanic temple of people who work really hard on fighting back against pseudoscience and particularly pseudoscience within the mental health industry that goes to towards some of the issues that uh that were relevant in the satanic panic you know in in the mental health field that was a group of therapists psychologists mental health professionals we're advocate, advocating for the notion of repressed trauma and uh, not just repressed trauma as an existing uh, condition, but as something that can be uh, uh, drawn forth. The memories could be, uh, could be brought to consciousness through the right kind of therapy, whether it be hypnosis, sodium amytal interviews, uh, guided imagery therapy sessions, that kind of thing where people are told that these kinds of imaginings of theirs or these hypnotic uh, stream of consciousness thoughts in which they're trying to uh, resurface repressed memories of abuse were actually true. And for the most part, we found, you know, if not in all cases, that these recollections are confabulations that have no basis in reality. You know, it's the same evidentiary basis for alien abduction, past lives, you know, you can get people to believe things that just aren't true through this kind of method of making them create memories. And so we've been trying to, you know, fight back against the the therapists who still spread conspiracy theories and delusions to clients, mentally vulnerable clients of theirs. And some of these therapists go go out in conferences and they'll talk about Illuminati mind control, satanic ritual abuse, like really 1980s satanic panic shit that's been totally and thoroughly debunked. And it's horrifying because, you know, people are coming them to get a better grounding in reality. Uh-huh. You know, and you have people who are who are vulnerable, maybe went through traumatic events and are trying to get that kind of grounding and they're being sold crippling delusions, right? And there's very little oversight about that. Anyways, my point is, we've done a ton of work on trying to reveal this problem, and we've been filing complaints against different therapists and trying to fight back against conspiracy theorists 
being able to offer continuing education units at conferences and things like that. And we just don't get press coverage on that. You, you know, we, nobody really talks about it. And I think there's a certain, I don't know, there's a certain plateau we need to reach. There's a certain new level the Satanic Temple needs to reach in credibility where people stop wanting us to be this clever, hilarious prank and start accepting us for doing real credible activist work mm-hmm. and trying to make changes that are that go beyond just making people think about their own hypocrisy because we've been clear from the start we have our own affirmative values people feel like we're always pretending to be like the other guys so we can put a mirror on them but we don't always do that we don't always just mimic the christian tactics like people write to us all the time well, can we discriminate against people coming to our businesses because they're Christian? It's like, why would you want to do that? Why do we want to keep, why do we want to increase the discrimination game? You know what I mean? Sure. Let's, let's go back to people learning to live together and do things in a, in a rational manner. And like, you know, let's set up an environment where we can better get along rather than each trying to, you know, fight fire with fire. So like, you know, let's say um, that, situation happens where there's like a christian that wants to i don't know what would they what would, how would they encounter you and what would it entail like what would ha- what, typically i guess what would happen like if we wanted to discriminate against no 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 christian? like no if you don't know like the opposite of that like embracing each other and like working together on something or at least at least like getting you know getting your your um you know your ideals out to you know, sharing them and kind of coming to like some sort of like I guess place of harmony where you can coexist. Is that something that you would want to achieve? I guess. Oh yeah, for sure. Like uh, we don't, you know, it would just be juvenile if we were developing our own affirmative values based on just doing the opposite of what we think the other side is doing. Sure. Like, if they change their values, then we change our values just yeah, to but, oppose them. Or, but not maybe the opposite, because, I mean, we, we both know that, like, Christianity is wrong. So, you know, it's just, <laughs> you, you know, so it's not like, it was just like the, the, the opposite, but you're just like, yeah, you know, you're, I don't know. Like, I, to me, it's like, I, I would want to embrace that person and be like, let's just coexist and maybe we'll learn from each other or, you know. Well, like, I think Christianity is only wrong insofar as Satanism is wrong, where it's like, if you take it from a theistic perspective, you're you know you're engaging in magical thinking and like i i've said before and i put it in writing because i feel like i want that on record publicly that i stated it before it happened but i see these kinds of uh religions academics talking about the future of religion and i see them speculating about on the horizon we're going to see non-theistic religions and it infuriates me because i'm thinking like you're willfully ignoring us. Non-theistic religion has already arrived, uh-huh. right? This is like the primary, I think, uh, uh, American-based non-theistic religion right now. I think what they're waiting for is there's going to be some progressive Christian sect that gains some kind of popularity. It's going to be a non-theistic Christian group, and then they're going to act like non-theistic religion has been invented. Now it's arrived, yeah, it's and it's thing. going to get like it's going to get the applause of the masses, and people are going to say this is where it's at. And I tend to think that the non-theistic Christian group will have no beef with us, you know. But I think that's what's really going to that's what's 
And they're going to be no more wrong than us, is what I'm saying. You oh, know what sure. I mean? If they're non-theistic <laughs> and they're just taking these kinds of principles and values and saying, like, you know, this, this Christ story is kind of a metaphor for our... for what we believe or whatever, then then whatever yeah <laughs> you know? i mean it is it does seem like a sort of an evolution to some extent i mean i mean i guess there's like the rock church which is like a bunch of hipster christians but i'm like they still hate homosexuals you know they still say it's like you know wrong or no they're just know, yeah they're just like yeah. the cool guy yeah you're like the cool oh cool you have tattoos you, and yeah. shit like cool or you're, you're like still the older a... guy who goes in the high school and turns your chair backwards and sits <laughs> on so that yeah hey, that, okay so that's the i rock. used to be like yeah. you uh-huh yeah. Whatever it was, I did it. Yeah. You know, I should be dead or in jail. <laughs> <laughs> All so, the tropes. So where did like I mean, if you don't mind, can you t- explain like where how you fell into to all of this? Like, is that too crazy of a story or long of a story? But I, w- I would love to know like where it, you found it. You know, like this place. Like how I came to be Who in you, the position I'm in now. Maybe not like structurally with with the temple, but like just your own beliefs. Oh yeah, I mean, I was. The, the thing is, I say I was deeply affected by the satanic panic, and people expect that that means like I was accused of cannibalism or something, or or like, <laughs> or like thrown in jail for playing Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. That, that didn't. That none, none of that happened, you know. And I never really saw, like directly when I was a kid people's lives being destroyed by the satanic panic but I was really aware of it you know I was really aware that there was supposed to be satanists in each community and they were murdering babies and they had mobile crematoriums and that there were these sick cults and they were they were everywhere I mean this the conspiracy theory was mainstreamed you know at the time Garola was running these stories Mm -hmm. and like Sally Jesse Raphael and in Oprah, let's not forget, and she's Teflon, you know, more so than any of the other, you know, I don't, she promoted the, the book Michelle Remembers, you know, which really kind of kicked off the satanic panic. It was supposed to be a true story of a woman who recovered her memories of being abused by a satanic cult, and she was a Catholic, and her therapist was a Catholic, so she recovers memories of, like, the Archangel Michael actually coming down, appearing to her, and fighting Satan, and Jesus Christ comes and removes the scars of her abuse, which also conveniently kind of took away any evidence that she had, you know, suffered, like, you know, having parts hacked off of her or whatever else was supposed to have happened. Anyways, these stories were taken as fact. I was, I was, <laughs> I was small enough where I didn't realize how, how wrong you know, mainstream authorities could be on certain issues. So there's these terrifying stories. So what's the, what's the truth of that? Kind of forgot about it a while. And then I came back to the topic, you know, and I started like trying to find out who, who were Satanists, you know, like, was there anything accurate about this? Or were people who identified as Satanists, were they doing any of these things, you know, or were they doing some of them? Like what, you know, what was it? So I started kind of going around and I really, you know, as I grew up too, I, I began to see the corruption of institutionalized religions. You know, the stories start coming out. You see they're raping kids. You know, you, you see just crimes and scandals. You see, you, you begin to get the idea that being a man of the cloth didn't necessarily mean you had any moral grounding whatsoever and you could really be uh, a, a corrupt individual 
getting away with a lot just because people seem to give you a pass, you know, like moral self-licensing, they call it, you know, and it's still, uh, somehow that scam still works. But anyways, so I, I really, as I was, uh, you know, wondering what happened with the satanic panic, growing really skeptical and, and, uh, and critical of mainstream religious organizations, really growing an affinity just for the symbolism and narrative of Satanism, you know, based on kind of the Miltonic idea of Satan the rebel, you know, yeah. against a tyrant God. And you get those basic questions even, you know, you develop those basic questions even as a kid, you know what I mean? What's, what's wrong with knowledge, you know? Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, who's really the bad guy in this whole Adam and Eve yeah. story here, you know? <laughs> and like, you know, even theorizing, you know, like, is it supposed to be that you, you know, develop an understanding if you're a reasonable person that the, the the wrong person was denigrated in this mythology or whatever? I don't know. Really grew to like Satan. You know, and all things, sure? all things Satan related <laughs> after yeah. a while. And at first, you know, I did gravitate towards the uh, the you know the Church of Satan, the Satanic Bible. Um, but after a while. Like all that rhetoric about police state bullshit and uh, the social Darwinism just didn't match what I was learning about human behavior, about social development, you know, all like all those kinds of things, uh, reciprocal altruism, you know, all, all these all these things I was learning. I thought thought about human nature. You know, we are cooperative by nature, and we should be. You know, you know, just basic things just didn't didn't add up. So. I began to feel that uh, they were kind of a throwback, a 60s throwback. And I didn't think I would get back to Satanism, but I still you know, really had a love for Satan. <laughs> it wasn't something I necessarily advertised or needed to because, you know, at that point you just kind of offend people unless you're going to, you know, be like I am now, a lifer kind of vindicating this whole thing. But you see in the film, Hail Satan... Like at the beginning, like you had some guys working on a film, and the basis of the film was that, uh, you know, they wanted to do this documentary where it was, it was like acu- act- activist documentaries. People like bring up this past as, you know, saying it discredits us because, I, you know, we didn't have the, uh, as I said in the film, we didn't have the hubris to think we could start this large international religious organization. But we did think that if we were doing the kind of activism we were doing that other people would see that you know and people identified as satanists would kind of rally under that banner and start doing these things themselves so and we didn't think we'd get the attention for any of these things we were doing until we put out the film where we're doing that so we started asking for equal treatment under laws that allowed uh broader exceptions for religious iconography or proselytizing on public grounds saying, you know, if you do this, Satanists are allowed. I wasn't really interested in that film project. I was the Satanist that uh, the guy, Malcolm, he was putting together this film project. And, you know, it it required an alternative religious voice, of course, to ask for these privileges and exemptions. And he knew, you know, he knew a Satanist, and I was willing to consult on this film. But at the very beginning, I wanted to keep arm's length. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like I was not interested in being like the publicly identified Satanist, and I still had 
feelings of terror because even though I said I didn't deal directly with people ruined by the satanic panic, by that point, I was well in contact with people who were worried about, were ruined by uh. the satanic panic. Their, their family lives were destroyed. They were accused of things or whatever because I had started writing about false memories being uh, produced in the course of these irresponsible therapies and stuff like that. I was doing that before the satanic temple. So I was writing uh. about these issues related to the satanic panic, and I was already going after these uh, these mental health professionals. Like as yourself, it. or was it yeah, like, yeah, uh, as as myself. And so, you know, well, who are you writing for? Or what was it like? What was the uh, most of this stuff I had to post independently because editors are afraid to take on. You know, everything's like clickbait articles sure, now, totally, written in yeah, the course of yeah. two hours and a lot of times editors will look at things and if it looks like there might be legal issues if you're calling out a specific doctor uh-huh. they don't want to touch it you know what i mean you're uh-huh. going to post that on your own so i published a few things uh-huh. like in, in skeptical inquirer skeptic magazine things like that but that's really preaching to the choir uh-huh. right but looking into all these past cases and everything there's this idea that if you're publicly identified as a Satanist, not far to follow our accusations of like child abuse or whatever. And in some of these people, like, you know, the accusation alone, no matter how debunked, was enough to ruin their lives, sure. right? The accusation can be totally debunked, but you'll still see it attached to their names, right? So it just seemed like suicide to me to be like identified as like a public face of Satanism. Uh-huh. However, I wasn't going to let these guys do a film and misrepresent Satanism, right? Uh-huh. So at the beginning, at that time, it was like it didn't matter, theistic, non-theistic, whatever. There were certain kind of core values, you know, certain kind of symbols and stuff like that. And I was keeping in the distance, didn't want my face on any of it. Uh-huh. And I was telling them, like, you know, no, this is how this needs to look. This is how you need to frame this. And then they had that actor, like, at the Rick Scott rally. And... I'm trying to coach him, you know, and we did that rally and I see him talking in the news and like he, he did a great job, you uh-huh. know, like he was a, he's a nice guy, great guy. I get along with him, but like, but it was like I said in the film, like you just can't leave it to somebody else who sure. doesn't have a background in this to do like real time interviews, uh-huh. you know. I but you had already was... done like TV stuff before that, right? No. No? No. I thought you said that. No, not not no TV. Huh. You know, I I, uh, I I had no interest in it either. You know, like public speaking for you know you know like I, so I was the clips in the film were from something before the film came out. Which they? which wasn't uh, there like what weren't you talking with CNN or one of the the other news? What media outlet was it? There was one. There's a there's a clip in the film where you're on TV speaking about about Satanism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what before? What are you talking though? Um, because like I, I was it was still in relation to the Satanic Temple. Okay, right? yeah, yeah, but but so you're going back to the the start of the film where you were trying not to be the face of it, but you well, were already right, the face right. Of you, it. right? Yeah, my face was already uh-huh. there. I was yeah. in the background, right? I just felt that level. I just, I still didn't think anybody would recognize me, right? Uh-huh. So I felt like. You know, and you see, like, I even changed my hair color a bit, and I'm wearing sunglasses <laughs> or whatever. I'm like, nobody, nobody will see this, yeah, right? Yeah. So I, I felt safe on that. It wasn't until we did the pink mass, and I was like, I'm putting my nuts on the grave. That I was like, <laughs> all right, shit's gotten got gone too far. And like, 
as hilarious as that was, it felt like an act of suicide to me because I'm like, all right, there's no going back. You know, yeah. like, what am I going to do with my life now? You know, like, yeah. I'm, I'm in this to the end. This is it, like, right? Yeah, yeah right. This, yeah, is, yeah. this is it. And I either, I either vindicate this or I... Or I die with it, right? Yeah. So that's when shit got really serious, and that's when it was like, you know, cameras off, guys. There's no no documentary. You know, this is like, this is the real deal now, uh-huh. and that's that's what it's been ever since. So, you know, it's it's a real weird kind of uh, dichotomy there because on the one hand it was hilarious, and we're like, yeah, fuck you. But on the other hand, I'm like awake at night, staring at the ceiling, being like, oh. What the fuck have I done you know like <laughs> and I, I really did have uh, sleepless nights because like when we first started with the Baphomet campaign uh you know asking to put our monument up next to the Ten Commandments monument I you know I wasn't media trained or anything I started getting interviews all the time and you know it might not be apparent to anybody a lot of people just heard of me watching the Hail Satan film and they don't realize like I've gone through stretches of time where like I've done interviews from morning to night, you know, and a lot of those are local press or whatever. And a lot of that's articles that's just like that just show up and are forgotten after a couple hours, you know, a lot of podcasts and things like that. And like, I never really looked into how big they were, but sometimes they're huge and sometimes they're small, but I was doing a ton of interviews and I felt a desperate need to do every one of those interviews to clarify anybody's misconceptions, Uh anybody's errors, whatever. And, like, I would get to that point where it would be, like, 8, 8 p.m. in Massachusetts. And I'd be thinking, like, okay, I can rest now because, like, even on the <laughs> West Coast, it's, they're yeah, wrapped up for the day yeah. or whatever. And I would just be all up all night because I I didn't want to give up on the night, you know, because I didn't want it to start again the next day. Wow. You know, like, I'd just be, like, I'd end up falling asleep on the couch because I felt like, you know, I, I just... I couldn't resign it because, you know, like I couldn't resign the night because that was the only time I felt like the activity had stopped and I was safe from any other pushback, you know. It took me a while to get over that. Like it was, uh, got to the point of being like almost, almost phobic, you know. Like I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to my bed. I was passing out on the couch. Sure. And then I was like, and I was getting like to the point also where I didn't want to leave my place. Like I had to. I had to think about it. I was thinking, like, all right, I'm turning agoraphobic. So I would actually have to, like, tell myself, like, okay, tomorrow, by noon, you know, I'm going out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, if I'm working on my laptop, I'm going to do it in a place. You know, like, I could just let myself hole up. Yeah. You know? So so when you were getting all this, like, when it was growing, getting all this, like, the, all these interviews, I mean, you learned to navigate through them right like there's like the shitty questions you make you make it better but then there's like the stuff where they're trying to fuck you up you know like how do you deal with that like I'm, who do you have a publicist or who is like who is helping you filter out the crap or you were just well, taking it me. all that's me that's one thing like, <laughs> yeah. like I'm, I'm always quick to say like for me to tell my own personal story like uh diminishes all the work of all the people around us who have done so much but I will be the first to say, like, I take full fucking credit for how the media was handled at the beginning and everything. And, in, you know, I wrote the press releases. I kept the comments on point. I argued it in the debates, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, and to me, like, somebody who never wanted to be in the public eye and, like, 
goes into the public eye under that intense scrutiny, like there's a massive amount of stress to be like invited on Fox News. So, like you don't know what they're really gonna ask you, yeah. you know? Like the producers come on, they say like it's about this or what Megan Kelly's producers lied to me about everything. Yeah, of course. Tucker Carlson's did not. Tucker huh. Carlson's producers uh, were cool, actually. Uh, wow. Much of a dick he is. Yeah. Like his his producers <laughs> were on the level with me like both times. You know, they, they had me on the show twice, and that was fine. But like, wait, they had it twice? Why twice? They had me on twice. I think I think he was angry about how things went the first time. Uh, because, angry at you because you were able to like keep your shit yeah, together. So yeah. So I think the second time was revenge. Uh, like, <laughs> it, it, and it didn't work out either because yeah. the first time he had me on was about that. Uh, about that veterans monument that uh-huh. we that I showed you yeah. downstairs, and uh, I he wanted to he wanted to delegitimize us as a religious group. Yeah, he was trying to say that we were just trying to make a mockery of of religious people and their faith, and we're beating mm-hmm. up on these small town people who set up a Christian veterans memorial. And I don't think he expected me to not care about that argument at all and to use his own words against him because he sees himself as this champion of libertarian free speech. Uh-huh. So I just kept hammering on his cognitive dissonance about free speech. I was like, I was like, it doesn't matter what you think of us as a religious group. You know, we have a right to be here. And and then he started questioning how many people were in the satanic. Yeah. Uh-huh. I told him and then he said he didn't believe it. And I said, it doesn't matter. There could be two of us, you know, like, yeah, it no, sure. we still have a right to the open forum of free speech. I think that really pissed him off because it forced him to agree with me. Like uh-huh. he, he kept wanting he to say we weren't it. legitimate. He didn't expect me to say, who cares? You know, like, I, I really don't care what you think. So the second time he had me on, I think he thought he really had the knockout punch, right? Yeah. Because we had just released a press release where it was like, the, the big thing in the news was the bakery in Colorado oh, that yeah. wasn't going to make yeah. the, the cake for the gay couple. And we put out a press release and we said, all right, if a bakery's not going to make a a cake for a gay couple, they have to make it for Satanists because religion's a protected class, you know? So order a satanic cake, you know? And we had, like, this template for, like, a nice Satan... In, from from the same bakery. Yeah. So Tucker Carlson had me on, and I think he was thinking, like, okay, this is, like, my my crowd can get behind this. So here it is. They're trying to compel people against their religious beliefs to do what they don't want to do. So he had me on. He's like, I totally disagree with making people, compelling people to do that. And I don't think he expected me to say what I did, which was like, okay, fine. I can I can agree with that. However, let's not make, like, the gay baker be forced to make a cake for the evangelical bigots. Uh-huh. So I was like, so either give protected class status to sexual orientation or take it away for religion. And at that point, I think he was just like, fuck, here we go again, you know, like, <laughs> I have to agree with this, and then he started speculating that I had had a bad childhood, and then he ended the interview by yelling that I should go back into my hole, and at that point, I, go crawl back into yeah. your hole, he yeah, said, wow. and I was like, I totally won this, yeah, that's like, so like, rad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, knockout punch right there, oh, but anyways, man. I was yeah. saying, like, before you get comfortable with that, it's terrifying to know that, you know, you're going to be before an audience of millions, you know, before a hostile interviewer. The wrong audience. Right, yeah. Or maybe the right, depending on how you look at it. But and, yeah. and it's a hostile interviewer yeah. who's going to be doing everything they can to try to discredit you. Yeah. And, like, this is, like, at that point, too, like, the, it's the biggest audience I had been in front of 
fuck that up nothing else matters you know yeah, what i mean yeah. like that's my one performance and that's it so but you also know going in that being nervous is what's really gonna fuck you up so you're just like all i have to do is not get nervous like and that's like trying to not think of yeah. the blue elephant or whatever yeah. and like, oh fuck you know but you did it yeah, now I feel comfortable with that yeah. kind of thing. Now, now when people comment and they're like, "Man, you seem totally comfortable," and like, "Good morning, Britain," or whatever, I'm like, "Well, who's gonna?" You know, uh-huh. at that point, I was actually, I was actually disappointed that Piers Morgan wasn't there because, like, <laughs> you know, he's he's notoriously a prick, and I thought this is gonna be a hostile interview. Wow. But the British, you know, they were terribly polite. I, I was, <laughs> I knew I was gonna be disappointed as soon as I was in the yeah. in the green room, and a producer came back and was like. So here's some of the questions they're going to ask you. We're going to see if this is okay with you. And I was like, yeah. really? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> they have you on. They're like, we yeah. hear everything you stand for. Here's and some I, tea and crumpets. Yeah, and I had some like handler from the distribution company. And the producer left. And I said to her, I was like, do you think they're just fucking with me? Trying to throw me off? And she's like, oh, no. This is going to be, this is going to be really nice. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, did you ha- do you have any, any other situations like that that were, that were pretty brutal or like combative? When I've been on like broadcast or whatever, or anything, yeah, one yeah. My, like... One of my favorite ones was one of the earliest ones where there was a time with, with the Baphomet Monument where everybody wanted to debate me, and I had <laughs> I had these debates all scheduled, and they were debates with like politicians. So I was, and this was before I had done like my Fox News appearances. So I was still in nervous yeah, mode. Yeah. I was still in like I don't think I can do public speaking kind of mode, and I was. Also thinking like, okay, these politicians pander to the evangelicals a lot, but they've made their career debating people and things like that. They're not really this dumb. You know? So they're like tra- trained, I guess. Right, yeah. yeah. So I was thinking like, this is this is going to be difficult. And so Huffington Post Live had me on with a legislator from Oklahoma, this guy, Paul Wesselhoff, I think was his name. And he was... He was speaking in defense of putting the Ten Commandments monument on the on the public grounds, and I uh, I just I tore him a new asshole. You know, <laughs> I, I started talking about the responsibilities of a public representative, and I was, and I I started yelling at him that his responsibility as a public representative was to ensure that there was uh, equal opportunity and availability for. All points of view, you know, he, he, was, he was supposed to represent Oklahoman Hindus, Jews, Muslims, and even Satanists, you know, insofar yeah. as, like, as, like, equality of law was concerned. And then there was a pause, and his response was, well, that's your opinion. I have my own. And I was just like, holy shit, these guys really are that stupid, wow. you know? There was nothing, <laughs> there was no curveball or whatever, I felt like. And after that... Everybody backed out of their debates with me. And I was like, and I was thinking like, all right, on the one hand, I could credit myself for doing really well, but I was also thinking like, I probably only had to do well enough that some of these politicians looked and were like, okay, if it's not going to be a one-way beating in which I beat the Satanist, like I can't debate the Satanist. Do you know what I mean? Like if the Satanist is going to make any type of credible showing, like I can't do this. So... That was like, that was disappointing. Cause but I, I wonder was, about some of them. Like, they probably are trained to debate. You know, I mean, do, do you? You would did, think so. Did you have any of that? Did you? Did you like go and like get like, I don't know. No, no, I didn't get debate pu- training. Like a public but, speaking. I don't know. Like, it know. was funny. Like, I heard Penny Lane. She's the director of Hail Satan. 
she was doing a uh, podcast with uh, Penn Jillette, you know, the, the Las Vegas yeah, magician. Yeah, of course, you know, yeah. Bullshit show, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was really weird. I, I felt like the oddly voyeuristic in a weird way, like I shouldn't be listening to it because oh, yeah. they were talking about me and uh-huh. it's really a bizarre thing to hear. But Penny said like, uh, Penny mentioned how the first question presented to me at Sundance was some lady just saying, so what happened to your eye? And, and Penn was like, well, how did that go? And she was like, she was talking about me. She said, he has this amazing ability to give these great, eloquent answers to the question you didn't ask yeah. in a way that you don't recognize that it wasn't the question. Yeah. <laughs> that it wasn't yeah. an answer to the question you yeah. asked. And it was like, Penn was like, oh, I guess that's his, you know, that's... Uh, that's what makes him the guy for the job or whatever. Sure. Oh, yeah. And I, I think, like, that just developed during my uh, introduction into this, like, by fire. You know, I had trial by fire and I just had to go through these things. And so I've been through enough interviews where people ask really stupid questions yeah. looking for a specific type of answer. Huh. And I already know the points I want to get across and I'll find a way to work those in instead. You know? I mean, it's, it, it's kind of like, I mean, I, you know, we always get like, you know, it's like the band interview, like what are your influences? And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm always like, who cares what, like, like, yeah, I can list off these bands like that. That's fine. But what's really important is why did I like all this weird shit? Like what in life in the, in you know, the world I live in made me go to that. Like things not musical are really more important. So it's kind of like, you know, you you would exp- I yeah, I'm sure I'm I bet you got that question a million times. You know, or I, I was curious though, like how, like how, I've gotten good at detecting like and, what they want me to say too, and don't and say knowing it. when to not, you know, <laughs> knowing just how to never say it because there was one interview I got burned on in Oklahoma, where it was like the guy interviewing me was trying to make the case that we were just making the film because like. You know, we had done the Rick Scott rally thing, and like we we were done doing any type of film. We weren't working with Penny. We weren't working with CNN. Nobody at the time, uh-huh. you know, because CNN did like a forty-five minute documentary about us too that people don't remember anymore. But um, you know, this guy kept asking about making a film, and I was like, "We're not, we're not making a film." And then he's kept going on, like he kept coming back to it, and he's like, "Well, couldn't there be a film made about you guys at some point or whatever?" And I was just like. somebody could you know we get offers to make films so then he made his article about you know pulling like certain quotes about like yeah a film might be made kind of thing Uh and it was like okay I see what that guy's doing now I know when people are doing that Uh I just know when to stop and say no yeah you know like (laughs) there's nothing more I'm giving Uh you on this you know like Asked and answered. <laughs> so, so, but I mean, the thing is, it's like not, it's like a film. It's not like, you know, I don't know, Mel Gibson making one about Jesus. How dare you? How fucking dare you? You know, it's like, it's, it's a whole other world of, of, of documentation. So what, what, I mean, what was his point in like criticizing you on that? It's the same. The, you know, there's always the question about our legitimacy as a religious organization. Mm-hmm. And people want to say that it's like the the religious aspect of this, like the whole Satanism thing is just uh, just a facade cover up for some other agenda. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Or like, like that you're we, just secret well, capitalist and no, we, well, we always get the question from like even people who are inclined to support us. Like, so is this uh so is this theater? Is this political? Uh-huh. Is this a religious movement? And it's like, you know, ask all these different things as though they're mutually exclusive and like, 
we're just kind of like, well, sure, it's all part of it, you uh-huh. know, like it's. it's so it's so you'll all, say it's all of that. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's but it's it's all. It, it can't be disentangled, you know. What sure. I mean? Like I mean, everything to me, I think everything is political. And everything's theater too. Like you know, if you if you look at religion, a lot of the, uh, you know, uh, what religious organization doesn't use art and. And pomp and imagery and like I mean what's the, what's that ritual yeah. you know yeah. it's, a, it's a theater right and there's nothing wrong with that or like when people see that we engage in what they call pranksterism so they think there's something inauthentic about it uh-huh. it's like what why like it needs to be stone sober and I mean and, that's what Christianity was all about pranksters you know but like not not fessing up to the fact that it was a prank you know it's like let's <laughs> yeah. let's, let's let's trick everyone. Yeah, yeah, I, I liken us to like the uh, this the stage magician who doesn't claim to have supernatural powers. Like it's still is is effective, you know. It's still a great spectacle. It's but you're not you're not uh, you're not trying to uh, diminish people in any way. You're not trying to to fool them or you know or I, I don't know. Well, I, I guess maybe like there's this. I guess with certain other religions there is this form of oppression you know and that's something i well yeah it's the difference between authoritarian conditioning and trying to give people these tools to develop their own creativity and enrich themselves there's a whole dialogue we kind of have going on now that uh one of our one of our people our coordinators putting together a book about our rituals and one of the most interesting emergent properties from this community in the satanic temple is how it handles rituals because we've never told people we've never really told chapters you know explicitly how to handle rituals within their within their chapters and like there's only a certain amount of things somebody like me can do to author the culture of the satanic temple right at a certain point you have to just see what people make of it Uh and it could have been that we became populated by people who really liked the atheist prankster narrative and weren't so much into the idea of Satanism. That's not what we ended up with. We ended up with people genuinely attached to non-theistic Satanism and they like doing rituals and things like that. But the rituals in the Satanic Temple are very creative. They're like, we have rough templates. There's no like real scripts where it's like, you say this and somebody says this back. It's not this like stand up, sit down shit. It's participatory and people like make these rituals for specific events sometimes. And they change these rituals to uh, match what they want, you know, what they want to get from it, you know. And, and, and a lot of them are very cathartic and they have, you know, there's a lot of applied psychology involved like we had a destruction ritual here people wrote down these different things they wanted to be rid of in their lives and they lit them in fire and stuff like that and in that kind of circumstance you know people were breaking down in tears and things it was very emotive for them it Uh was very very cathartic and very very interesting but i think it's interesting that we never told people that that's what ritual is and that's what developed from this philosophy of anti-authoritarianism. Sure. And you see a, a distinct difference between churches and religions that are premised on authoritarian conditioning, where their rituals are very much about you stand up at the right time, you repeat after these lines yeah. kind of thing. It's authoritarian conditioning. And like 
our rituals are the opposite. They're supposed to be personally enriching and, you know, creative processes. I think, I think that's a beautiful thing. You know, that's something I'm really proud of to see. So, man, okay, because for me, when I would look at, like, Satanism, it seemed almost like, and, and, and I, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but it, it seemed like true anarchy, right? like self-governing is that something does that seem right to, to me like I mean yeah I mean I was talking about something that's been the great pride of of uh, seeing this developed in Satanism like the, that ritual aspect I mean there's disappointing aspects too and like, it, like what well it just like originally the idea was that there would be no kind of central authority for the Satanic Temple at the time I had like a you know, this was before, like, Anonymous, the hacker group, kind of became synonymous with, like, 4chan uh-huh. right-wing bullshit yeah. or whatever. And there was Wait, just... that 4chan stuff is is synonymous with, with the Anonymous now? Uh, yeah, Anonymous was more kind of like a... But it seemed a like... 4, a 4chan brainchild, right? That, huh. I mean, that's where they did a lot of their... Now 4chan, yeah, is really known for its like, like white power shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you but know, anonymous seemed like but anonymous, yeah, anonymous <laughs> were like these hacker anarchists, yeah. right? And there was no like central authority to anonymous. It was just like people believed in certain principles and they held up the banner of anonymous. And like I kind of had these idealistic notions at the beginning that that's what the satanic temple would be, right? There would be no governing body of the satanic temple. People would get the satanic temple. And they would call themselves a satanic temple and they would be doing these things. And it was like, but it was pretty early on where I was like, okay, I'm a public person and I can't run the risk of like some South Florida chapter, like uh, marching with the Klan or something like that. So it was like, because I'll I'll crash and burn. Like, so we had like kind of a basic structure in place of like, how do we regulate this? Right. And I feel like. That's kind of the situation we're in now is like trying to balance maximum autonomy against like those principles of anti-authoritarianism. It's just seeing what the real limits are. And it's it's always kind of an open question because it's not so much a question of like increasing centralized authority, of course, for its own sake, but increasing centralized authority for the sake of all of those who identify with us so they can feel reasonably secure that they're not going to be suddenly associated with some heinous activity or some heinous statement because we weren't keeping track of what other chapters were doing. So now, you know, we just do have this governing body where chapters want to do anything public-facing, release a statement or whatever. They run it by us first, and we just look over whether there's legal issues, whether there's other, like, health considerations, liabilities, you know, injuries, whatever, you know, potential for injury, that kind Uh of thing, and either give it our approval or not. But we've tried to develop a culture within our council where the the overriding question is why not rather than making the chapters justify why. Uh You know, we want to give them kind of a real creative freedom to do what they do, and we only want to really veto that if there's serious concerns that so this would make the rest of the organization look bad or whatever so it's just interesting to see what the 
what the limits are to that. You know what I mean? Because we start out with that mindset of complete anarchy, right? Uh-huh. And then the more we develop, the more we have to put a system in place. But not like complete anarchy, because that seems like the sort of weird, like nihilistic punk rock idea of just like, fuck it, you know, like, fuck the world. It's like, no, 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 like, just keep your shit together and don't don't harm or oppress other people. Like, I mean, it kind of seems like that's the sort of general guideline. If if you can apply the word guideline to, to anarchy, you know, it seems like that would be like the, the sort of place to, you know, root reside in or I guess live in or exist in or whatever yeah yeah I but, mean you, you do want to have a system in place to, for I mean you just want the optimal system in place right you want to want to uh, encourage collaboration and have everybody open to you know having a voice in which they feel they can approach you know solutions to different problems they sure. have or, and the world's changing and people are changing so it's like it's interesting to think about like how you said the um the Church of Satan people were like upset with what you were doing and it's like well and you can obviously it's speculation like what would Anton LaVey do or think or feel now you know it's like so like the world has changed so like the going back like the mindset of 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 the Church of Satan is like not necessarily relevant to you know the 2019 the most facile response to the Church of Satan is they're so obsessed with the idea of the strong overcoming the weak that it's like well, I guess you're watching that in action with the Satanic sure. Temple taking primacy over Ooh, the okay. Church of yeah. Satan. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, in a very real way, that's yeah. true. I mean, I mean, we have something that's uh, that's more relevant, yeah. I think, and, yeah. and more appealing and readily understandable to and people. And more mature? Can we say that? Like, yeah, it seems it, fucking and I, I And I think, like, our conception of what Satanism should be is more intuitive to people who view uh, who look down upon Christian beliefs as being theocratic and autocratic and totalitarian like to go uh, in in rejection of that in the direction of a different type of of tyranny is it's counterproductive it's 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 silly you know their their views are very right wing now and very much associated with kind of the evangelical nationalists we fight against now oh yeah so it 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 stopped making sense to people but maybe those views were were always there sort of to some extent with the church of satan yeah oh yeah they definitely were it those were in place those had been in place for a while they just necessarily weren't associated with (laughs) the evangelical right in the united states you know because uh you know at a certain point they were you know earlier on they were rallying against probably the best things uh you know you can associate with christianity the idea of charity the idea of mutual cooperation Uh things like that things that aren't worth attacking anybody yeah (laughs) i mean it did kind of seem like they were like if you were to like look at them as like the having that prankster aspect it was sort of like this just like a bunch of fart jokes and shit like that you know you're just like come on like if you're gonna be a prankster at least like have there be some kind of substance to it well that's why it was hilarious to see them acting like they were appalled by the pink mass that we had done mm-hmm. and that this was something that like it just makes us all look bad uh, i mean seriously yeah <laughs> right? so, okay and then so you also had mentioned like this the struggle or like i guess the combativeness that you you get with with 
atheist organizations. Like that just seems, that's just, it's like a bummer to hear that. You know I mean? It's not, it's not really, I mean, let me clarify. We just see some of this shit on social media okay. where people who identify themselves as atheists get all pissed off. But for the most part, like the relevant atheist organizations have been really, really good to us. Like you're fighting the, both fighting the good fight. Like, like it seems like there's power in numbers. Like everyone can kind of like come to agree on most things. Like we should probably just be chill or whatever, you know? There's a, uh, there's a, there's a problem in in just dialogues in general now where people completely lack nuance. So you have some of these atheists who have this talking point where religion is poison, religion is toxic, religion is the root of all evil. And I would have them revise that and say, why don't you move your concerns over to superstition and recognize that you can have non-theistic religions, you can have, you know, religions that aren't toxic, you know, that aren't premised upon... Uh, beliefs that are intellectually insulting and backward, mm-hmm. and uh, and then we're we're fighting the same fight. But you have some people who they, they can't revise their thinking to the point where they can see. You're getting more to the root of. The yeah, the, the root of the problem, right? Right. Because yeah, religion is pretty much in between. If you're saying get rid of the superstition, right. And then, yeah, it makes sense. And I would expect them to recognize this when it's pointed out and when they hold on to this notion that, no, you know, you can't be a religion because you're not applying superstition to it. And I will never have anything to do with a religion because I have vowed this as an atheist or whatever. It's like you're or they are uh, demanding second-class status as citizens because when I point out to them like look you know in our legal system religions are conferred certain rights and privileges that the non-religious aren't so you should insist that non-theistic people can claim the exemption and privilege of religion or else you're you're willfully rendering yourself second-class status Uh right but that that doesn't work either. So what yeah, would that be for like, some of them? Like an eight, like so, like it would be like the all the religions, and then the atheism would be like not a religion, but represented as some sort of like entity, right? I guess I don't know how the, how how would they address it or call it or you know the uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, the American Humanist Association they're openly atheist, but um, they they've caught on. They uh-huh. they they're. they're uh, they're willing to call themselves a religious perspective, okay. and they should, yeah, you know, sure. because the humanists are different than atheists in in which in in the way that they do try to define affirmative values applied to what they do believe in, as opposed to just asserting what they don't believe in, right? Yeah. And so, as a community, they should have just as much right to any religious privilege, privilege and exemption as, as anybody else. And sometimes I, I think they do. I think they've won some cases also. And, and, you know, that's a step in the right direction. But like I said, you know, it's not going to be generally recognized till there's a Christian non-theistic group. Sure. What other, like, um, I mean, this might be a strange question to, to answer, but what other religions do you think kind of fit in line, not in line, but like can kind of coexist with with you? Like in your in your in your opinion, like what... You know, like, is 
like I don't know like for me growing up like in the in like the hardcore scene like punk and hardcore there was like all of a sudden there was like Krishna bands and you're like what the fuck is this like we all you know we like yeah we hate God or we hate Christians or whatever and then there's like Krishna like that's and people are like yeah but they're like they're vegetarian they're and they're peaceful like you know they, they're still they're still jacked up religion like and it's fucked up and weird and like but and so there was like this weird backlash with like a lot of punk bands and stuff like thinking like why are Krishna's accepted because they are I don't know like is there something like that you know because I, I also struggle with like you know I go to I do like I go to yoga a lot and like there's this like you know it kind of like it's, it's integrated into this weird thing and I'm and I just I can't re- relate and I can't accept certain I feel like it's like this sort of like white privileged world that people live in you know like upper class world that people are coming from so like what religion do you think that's recognized is um accountable i suppose or like practical there's a lot to that question okay (laughs) because we do get christians writing to us and saying like hey we we get it you know like i we don't agree with you guys on like like theological issues but we agree you have your rights and and you know that uh, you have the right to believe what you believe, and the state shouldn't be involved in picking and choosing, you know, proper religions. And like I told you earlier, like the rally at the end of "Hail Satan" it wasn't shown, but we actually had Christian Christian ministers speaking on behalf of the issue yeah. of, of of pluralism. So, you know, like not all Christians, you know. Yeah, like, like so I know. I mean, it's just too big, right? But a lot of the minority religions, which are any non-Christian religions now, you know, they they don't have a bad thing to say about us. And, and like, we've had Muslim groups, like, happy about us doing what we're doing and speak on our behalf and stuff like that. And just the same, it's kind of, it's almost uncomfortable in a way for me because it's like, I don't ever want to not criticize the backward conservative superstitious elements in any religious group but people are on high alert when it comes to criticism against islam Uh. and i also feel like and i understand that right because like i feel like uh american muslims get shit on a lot and i don't think there's a whole lot in the way of like you know i mean maybe i'm ignorant to it and i you know i'm familiar in Detroit, there, you know, I grew up, there's a huge Muslim population there, and I didn't know much about their religion, because they never pushed it on anybody, oh, and they sure. never tried bringing it into politics, you know, so to me, Muslims were like this really benign group, you know, they were just, you know, people in the community or whatever. Just the same, like, my sympathy as a Satanist often goes towards the ex-Muslims who everybody shits on. You know, you get these Muslim heretics who are felt abused uh. by their past as Muslims. And I'm like, all right, they're like the the Satanists of the, uh, you know, of the, of the Muslim world. And, and, you know, they end up being called Islamophobic and things like that. And I think because they, they left, or, well, because they openly criticize mm-hmm. like the fundamentalists, wow, uh, yeah. you know, the, the fundamentalists in their religion, and it it does trouble me when people like in the liberal progressive camps jump on that bandwagon uh-huh. of shitting on the ex-Muslims for being Islamophobic or whatever. Oh yeah, well, just because they don't want to be seen as like the Fox News style Islamophobe so but there's also 
you know, two types of Muslim or Islamic <clears throat> critics, you know, there's, there's the type who understand that there's benign Muslims in the way that there's benign Christians and that it's a huge religion and that like one population of it isn't necessarily indicative of the entire population that has some kind of cultural attachment to mm-hmm. it. But that doesn't mean that some of these old archaic brutal texts are Mm -hmm. not counterproductive or shouldn't be critically scrutinized you know and then there's the the ones who who criticize you know or or there's the ones who defend you know there's a type who who will criticize islam because they are racist or they or they are the fox news anti-muslim type there are others who have the more nuanced criticisms and sometimes they're accused of being, you know, just the same as the the Fox News Islamophobes <laughs> or whatever else. And, I don't know, it just becomes a real hairy dialogue sure. that, you know, you don't even necessarily want to get into unless you have the opportunity to offer all those caveats yeah. first, you know. So maybe there's like this sort of like pyramid. Obviously, Christianity won. I mean, look at, we look at we're calling this 2019. Like, you know, like, they won. <laughs> so they're the ones that are like... Oh no, they're oppressed if you hear it from their point of view. But they're able to bully, like, well, yeah, they're they're fearing. It's like a white supremacist. They're like they want to keep that supremacy, you know. So they're they're like, well, let's bully these other smaller, you know, mindsets or religions or whatever. So maybe that's. But again, too, it's like you can't say all because there are. Yeah, I have. There's two people that are in that you know that I'm that I I feel I I. I I'm close to in my life that are Christian and I'm like god I just wish that all Christians were like this but unfortunately it's a, it's it's just a small fraction of of them that I've encountered in uh, on this planet so far that I can like t- agree with and respect and yeah, appreciate. yeah I, I feel like I see the simple-mindedness on both ends of the political spectrum right because on the one hand I do feel like we can criticize Catholicism in ways we're not allowed to criticize Islam right and because then you'll get that that knee-jerk reaction from the liberal progressive side where it's like you're one of those Fox News Islamophobes. Well, you can say what you want about the Catholics and everybody's going to <laughs> going to applaud you, right? They're going to say, like, yeah, fuck them or whatever. But then on the other side of that, like, the Catholics still have this kind of religious immunity where we don't talk about exorcism as being the dangerous superstitious practice that it is. Fuck me! You know? If it's, it, that's kind of like one of these Western culture religious things where when we do the same things that, you know, so-called primitive witch doctors do. Oh, yeah. Like, it's ignored, <laughs> even though, you know, they'll pretend like overseas or, you know, African witch doctors are somehow more primitive than us. And yet we just ignore the fact that we have people killing their children all the time and exorcisms, you know. Like, I, I mean, I get news alerts on exorcisms and people are dying all the time due to exorcisms. And yet, news coverage of exorcism always acts like exorcism is just this kind of undetermined phenomenon. You know, is there something to it? Is there, you know, are there demons that possess us? Some people believe there are. And it, often, like, articles about exorcism or the Vatican, like, training a whole army of new exorcists now like exorcism is very popular now it's it's growing in popularity even as membership in the catholic church diminishes and 
you know, most of the articles you read about this will just talk about to experts from the Vatican about demonic possession. And it's like, in that way, Catholicism, Christianity gets a pass. Like, that's, and, and that's, that's a way you see, like, really <clears throat> entrenched kind of, <laughs> that kind of white privilege, like, indoctrination that people don't even recognize. There was last month in October, there was a kid drowned. Uh, by his father during an exorcism and his mother was witnessing this happen so she tried to call the pastor right before she called 911 the Whoa. pastor didn't pick up then she called 911 the news article about this that uh, I think it was in Washington Post in Washington Post is like a progressive uh-huh. like liberal paper supposedly it didn't it didn't mention anything about the religion of this family Turns out they were Catholic, right? You wouldn't have gotten this from the article. Instead, it pointed out that they were part of some uh, Native American reservation tribe, as though that had something to do with it, uh-huh. right? And that's how those kinds of stories will go, the exorcism stories. They'll try to point to it as being... And I think I was telling you about this earlier. When we had first offered to put our private donation of Baphomet Monument up to the ten, next to the Ten Commandments Monument... There was this satanic panic in Oklahoma. You know, there was this fear. Like, was it was it really uh, this legal circumstance now where they were going to have to have a satanic monument on the public grounds? And what would this do? You know, would it come come awake at night and like come and eat children or whatever? <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking, but they were thinking it was going to, uh, you know, unravel the moral fabric of Oklahoma if that was there. In that time period where there were all these articles about, you know, Satanists coming to Oklahoma, some Christian guy decapitated somebody uh, at his brother's house, I think. His brother was playing front, uh, cards with this guy, and his brother said that the murderer, his brother, had been watching videos on YouTube about his Christian beliefs at the point where he picked up this blade and hacked off the head of his friend because he thought his friend was this practicing witch and into the occult or whatever, and I don't know, the guy may have been. But this was clearly a case of a Christian religious fanatic lopping off somebody's head, and his own brother, who was there at the scene, said that he lopped off this guy's head because of his Christian beliefs. And in the articles about this, they, you know, they talked about how this guy was mentally imbalanced, which, you know, if the guy had been a Satanist, that would have been the only thing they would have talked about. This guy's a Satanist, and that's it. That explains why he cut this guy's head off. In this case, the chief of police who was speaking to the press about this murder actually said that they found no connection between the murderer in ISIS or other Islamic beheadings, and therefore, therefore, Mm. there were no religious implications to the murder at all. I, I just now that really that that's really the uh, protective buffer. Oh, over, sure. Yeah, you know, over our own, you know, own Western culture, religious identifications that we have that I, people don't even recognize it sometimes until I point it out. Even people who are inclined to agree with me on these things, you know, they don't even realize that this has been going on right in front of their faces until I show them you know this is what exorcism does you know a lot of people get beaten during exorcisms but where was that at where the the beheading happened 
it was in Oklahoma in 2014 that a guy chopped off another guy's head. And it turns out, a month before that beheading, there was another guy who lopped off the head of one of his co-workers. I forget where he was working. And it wasn't clear... I, I, it wasn't really clear what this guy's motive was. I guess he was just a disgruntled employee or whatever. But it was interesting to note that in that article, too, in 2014, they said that this guy had no connection to ISIS or other <laughs> wow. I- Islamic beheadings. And they, in fact, went on in the article to, to talk about how he, in fact, was a Christian and therefore, this beheading couldn't have had anything yeah. to do with religion, of course, because we just don't do those kinds of things, right? I mean, I guess if you were, I don't want to talk shit about people in Oklahoma or, where, or wherever the, you know, these things happen, but it's like... Oh, you can talk shit, right? You're from Oklahoma. We'll leave it to you. But, but you know, it's like, it's like on every, <laughs> every piece of money, it's like, you know, it's like uh, you have to pledge allegiance to the flag and, you know, reference God in that in, in school. It's like it's everywhere. It's every it's in every single day. So it's like I, I let's give it to those people to not make the connection between, you know, the beheadings being a religious um, act, you know, like. I guess I see why that happened. I mean, I don't agree with it, but I guess I see why. They're just like, oh, nope, don't see a connection, you know. Well, I, I hope that uh, something people get out of the Hail Satan film is, you know, just seeing some of those times that people have invoked the fact that in God we trust is on money. It gives them some kind of exclusive license to the public forum. Like, you see that in the scene where our chapter in Arizona is asking to give an invocation before the Phoenix City Council. Mm. And in the public comments uh, at the the city council meeting preceding the one where our chapter was supposed to give the invocation, there were a few people who got up at the podium and held up dollar bill. And they said, you see, it says in God we trust. And to them, that means that we're a Christian nation and Christians have some kind of exclusive privilege and they have, uh, you know, they have less restrictive rights than than everybody else. They, They... they have a right to the public forum that we do not. And I think that's important for people to recognize because at the time they accepted In God We Trust to be put on the money in like the 1950s, not even the ACLU pushed back because the whole argument was that it was patriotic and ceremonial. Nobody really took this as a religious statement. This was just kind of some, uh, I don't know, this was just kind of some statements about... uh, I don't even really know the argument, you know, because yeah. I, I don't believe in it. Yeah. You know, I, I to me, it's explicitly a religious statement. But people didn't take it as such at the time. And I think that's a big mistake. Like, we get some people criticizing us sometime, asking, well, what's the big deal? You know, let the Christians have their display in the public square. Why you got to go in there and yeah. piss them off? And it's like, it's, <laughs> it, it's not, even for them, it's not really about the the monuments just being there that's not the only thing they want like they could put their ten commandments on any church there's a christian church on every corner yeah, you know yeah. put your so they're getting pissed off because they're losing their 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 power really yeah right i, I mean well, it seems like... i don't I, I hate to say that like this is the death throes of like uh of like their christian identity or whatever because like you realize they were saying that <laughs> during the Revolutionary War, you know, that yeah. we had reached the end of, of Christendom and that kind of thing. And we we just see it keep uh, 
fighting back. But it's like when you you hear the argument like, you know, black power is the same as white power and it's like it's it's not. It's they're two different things. You can't compare them and you know, if you have this thing with like, you know, people that are white supremacists worried about like, oh my god, white people are going to become the minority. It's like, well, and then, you know, and then what? Then what? You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, right. like, uh, you know, like you're welcome to the fucking club, uh, asshole. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But you hear that most from people where there's no real, uh, no real legitimate fear of them becoming a minority where they are any time in their lifetime. So it's really bizarre to me that they care at all. It does seem like people who are in more diverse environments care less about being the dominant you know, uh, ethnic representation. That feels like one of those rural, isolated kind of things where they feel like the barbarians are at the gates, you know, (laughs) ready to swarm in at any moment. Maybe that's the Fox News crowd. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they're at least, they're at least painting that picture for, for people, I I think. I don't know. Yeah, they, they certainly are. I've, I don't tend to watch it unless I'm in the green room, you know. Oh, yeah. And, and as far as I can tell, they're still talking about Benghazi. I'm still uh, amazed that you were on there. Like, that's such a great accomplishment. You know, like, congratulations. I, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm proud of my Fox News appearances. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I was telling you earlier, like, I, I tailor my rhetoric to, uh, to actually make my argument to those, those crowds. Sure. When, I, when, I'm, when I'm on some, like, conservative media, I make sure that... I highlight those things that will challenge their cognitive dissonance. You yeah. know, I can legitimately speak to issues of religious liberty, and they're going to have to think of ways in which they can pretend we don't apply. Yeah. You know, I'm the one who can talk about uh, you know that kind of libertarian ideal of freedom of choice mm. and like non-government intervention on issues of viewpoint. And that's the kind of rhetoric they've been putting forward to their benefit so often that they didn't think that anybody else could have a claim to it. And to some of them, like, it's actually enlightening. I've, you know, it's almost uncomfortable to get messages from people who identify themselves as regular Fox News viewers. Or when I got messages from people who said they love Tucker Carlson, watch him all the time, but they thought I did a really good job on the show. Uh, you know... You can be a little uncomfortable with that. Why though? <laughs> but, like, I mean, maybe you, maybe you got that little, you planted that little piece of. Oh seed no! Yeah, and, no, it's a good know, thing yeah, overall. Yeah. But like, the knee-jerk reaction is to be like, "Wait, I looked good to Tucker Carlson's yeah. crowd." Yeah, you know, like, yeah. is that a good thing? But you see enough of the pissed-off messages to be like, "Okay, everything, the universe is still in sure. order, right?" There's some people. It, it's weird to sometimes be comforted to see <laughs> that the people you never reach. Are still there? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's. I mean, this might not be the exact thing, but like there was this um, this anonymous. There's this article on on anonymous how they were like ratting out the clan, like they're giving out like their you know names and their whoever they were like the in the and where they were like in the ranks or whatever. And and I and I thought this article was great, and I posted it on Facebook, and all these people were like you know commenting in, and, and this and this one guy like chimes in. He's a clansman, and he's like. Um, you know, I, it's weird the, the like sort of nuance that he had because everybody was like, so he, he kind of cl- ch- chimed in and was like, this article actually is just like really good promotion for the, the KKK. And then all these people are like, who the fuck are you? And he's like, well, I'm, this is me. I'm, I'm, part, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the grand wizard of this uh, in like, um, 
Nashville or something, you know, and, and, and sure enough, he was. I looked at his profile and I was like, this is like pretty fucking frightening. And um, everyone was like, you know, fuck you. And they were just so mad at him, you know, and, and, and we kind of, I was, I was like very uh, like sort of skeptical and like commenting or like to him, you know, and we kind of like, I kind of would try to say things like that I'm not, I don't want to piss this guy off. Like, fuck it. I can go on tour and he'll just like go to the show and shoot me or whatever, you know, like figure out, like he, he could figure out who I am just like I could figure out who he is. But we started having these conversations and, and, um, you know, it's it was interesting, and this isn't the same, but maybe sort of. I don't want to associate or, or relate to someone like that at all. But we the the end of our conversation like uh, came to that we both thought that Dave Chappelle was brilliant, uh, and and he was. We were referencing the the the, the blinds blind Klansman skit that he did on on the Chappelle show, mm-hmm. and I was like, this is crazy, like. You know, there's pictures of this guy shooting guns and shit, like, and he's, you know, there's pictures of him in, like, his purple fucking wizard robe, robe, and I'm like, this is, like, the real deal, and I'm having this, like, non, you know, uh, uh, aggressive conversation where everyone else is just quick to be like, fuck you, and, but he, he was able to kind of, like, take the, 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 I guess, aggressiveness of all the comments and, and, and not, not lose his shit, you know. You know, your confession that you had any civil dialogue with this guy will have a certain group of people insisting that you're a Nazi. Nazi. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. That's a sure thing. Like, I mean, fuck him. You know, I'm fuck even going to get the backlash just yeah. for sitting here listening to him. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how bad it is. Well, and, and, and okay, I see that, but like at the same, the I know. Yeah, there, there, yeah. there you go. Plan to be or Nazis uh, <laughs> or KKK. It's like, yeah. I mean, I was, it was just, it was such a weird thing to kind of like converse with someone like that because it doesn't happen, you know? Like, I, I don't want to have a conversation with people of that belief system. And I mean, I, whatever. I don't even know what my point is. Of this or do thing. you? Because I don't know. Like, if you feel like you can actually change somebody's point of view, like, I mean, the thing is, is like, I've, I've been called a Nazi just for, uh, just for questioning this whole notion that you should just go out and, and punch punch Nazis. I was like, you should laugh at them. Like, when these guys do... Wait, like so do you think people should punch Nazis or not punch Nazis? It depends on the circumstance. But I don't <laughs> think you can... I, I don't think you can just make this blanket statement that people have a moral responsibility to, to go punch out and Nazis. punch these guys when they're doing like the straight pride parade well, or whatever. Yeah. Like, because... That, I mean, I feel like they feel like that validates them, right? They feel like they're going out to war, and if somebody comes out and they're just going to punch them. And these, for the most part, are just boneheaded sure. assholes who want to go out and get in a fight, right? And, and, and sometimes I think it does, has less to do with the ideology and more to do with just wanting to go out and have some some dirty hippie, you know, take a swing at them so they can get in a fight yeah, and yeah. knock them out or whatever. And it's like, I feel like it's so much more harmful, like... If you're marching down the street and everybody's mocking you and ridiculing you, you know, you should make a, a spectacle of it. Like I was saying, like, the KKK, they come into a rally or whatever. People should be joining in that rally, like, putting in their fake buck teeth and playing banjos and stuff like that. <laughs> Mock sodomizing their sisters and yeah. things like that. And making, like, they're part of that whole group and getting the pictures with them. And those guys, they'd be, you know... Then they would go home, and you know they wouldn't be saying like, "Those fuckers came at us." And we, you know what I yeah, mean? Be, they, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they, they when you punch a Nazi, them. they're gonna just be even more of a Nazi. But like, I say that. But when I'm confronted by these guys, I often can't help but just be like, "Fuck you!" You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
Like, we, we had all these death threats coming at us from white supremacists when we were doing our rally in Arkansas, you know? And that's scary because Arkansas... It's fucking uh, yeah. Arkansas, right? <laughs> they, I don't know what kind of bunkers with what kind of weapons they're holed sure. up in, but we had some some group of them that was making the call out to all white Christians to come and oppose this thing, and you know they're making all these threats and everything. And then, of course, we got there, and it's an open carry state, and people had guns and everything. And it was like we had guys signaling to us from across the street and they were on the Capitol grounds itself. You weren't allowed to have a gun, but just across the street on the peripheral, you were And these yeah, guys had yeah. guns. And like, I knew my back was going to be to them when I was speaking. So I was thinking like, ah, somebody, like, I was kind of surprised nobody took a shot, you know? Wow. So I, I stood at the podium and then before me were some of these white supremacist assholes with their flags and even then, I couldn't help but insult them. Like oh. I, I was, I had to make some comment about how here it was. Here's here's the fucking master race, you know. These like these like doughy dickheads, uh-huh. you know. These 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 flabby shits were standing there, you know, holding up their flags or whatever. And I was saying like, and I was kind of questioning that whole note, like the master race here. They're not fine physical specimens. And I was like, and they're not, they're also not the intellectual elite, you Uh know? And then I said something like, I'm sure your mothers thought you were very handsome little boys or whatever, something like that. And, uh, wow. You did that even with the guns and everything in the, in the, in the, yeah, that's, that's on YouTube somewhere. Like (laughs) I just couldn't fucking help it. I was just, even if I had gotten shot, you know, if I had, last moments to like breathe out something i had just been like i still don't take you fuckers seriously you know i'm still laughing yeah yeah but that would have been like maybe that part of them probably knew like if we shoot him then you know fuck if he dies or survives it's gonna just make you like even more iconic right you know like oh my god that that's more coverage i don't know one of those really funny though (laughs) i just can't win moments was after that i had people you know, more from our side of the spectrum who were very upset that I had body shamed the Nazis. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, no, it's fine. It's yeah, it's fine yeah. if you're flabby, right? Yeah, yeah. But also don't call yourself the master race if you're neither intelligent nor... Physically uh, yeah, fit. Or yeah, or physically yeah, fit. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, you have... Don't you have to at least be one of those, right? Yeah. Like... Okay, that is great because because you know you think about it like like you oh my god the fat shaming thing right? is you can't but it's like you know it it is one thing to like to take to be I mean I guess it's I don't know maybe it's like the woman asking you about your eye and the and the first question like from their perspective like is that the first shot they're gonna take at you like something that's not quite. I don't know. Thought out, but you're again. You're not. You're not. You're not trying to sell yourself as the master race. You know. I mean. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So um, I am allowed to. to yeah. Let myself really fall out of shape and. <laughs> well, I wanted to. I wanted to ask you too about when we were talking about the Fox News thing. Is like, what do you? What like? What about the opposite side? Like, do you ever talk to someone like from Democracy Now or or NPR or something where it's like, this is a really well thought out conversation and 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 w- does that happen? Maybe oh, yeah. not quite as often as a- well. Usually it's podcasts, and usually it's it's uh, and it, you know when people approach me about podcasts, like I often don't know how how listened to these podcasts are. So 
in the beginning, I was just saying yes to a lot of podcasts, and some of them were just like a guy in his basement, and like some of his friends listened to it. And then I, <laughs> but some of them I found out later were huge. Yeah. Like there was this guy, Duncan Trussell, he was like this comedian out of LA. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's funny because like I thought he was just some guy in his basement, uh-huh. you know, and he had done one of the drunk histories or whatever. Yeah. So he messaged me quite a bit, and like I was busy doing other other things, and I felt like I was doing him a favor. I'm like, oh, this fucking guy, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> okay, I'll do I'll do your podcast now, and I did his podcast, and then like that was one of the earlier things where a lot of people came to <laughs> the Satanic Temple just from hearing me on the Duncan Trussell I mean, that's show. A good, that's a good crowd right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. yeah so what other ones, have, like, what other, like, I don't know, entities have, like, kind of got you into the right cr- crowd? Ah, uh, it's... I mean, know, the film in itself had to be, I mean, I saw it in independent cinema, you know, independent theater, which I feel like, I don't know, like, People, they don't have, do they have those in Oklahoma? I don't know. Like, <laughs> no, you know. Inside of Walmart. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said earlier, there was there was a 45-minute CNN documentary about us. Lisa Ling had this show, this, no, This American Life is NPR. Isn't yeah. It? She, uh, something similar. But it's in this, that realm. This is Life uh-huh. with Lisa Ling, I okay, think it was. Okay, sure. And it was uh, a 45-minute documentary, documentary about the uh, unveiling of the Baphomet Monument. And that was like the biggest thing done about us at that point. And, you know, we gave CNN the exclusive to be able to come and like, uh, you, you know, and I'm very much one of those guys who uh, is, I'm totally fine doing events, performances or whatever sometimes with no cameras at all, uh-huh. like no record of it. Just because like, and I've, I even had this idea one time where we'd do like this whole stage performance thing and just do like a couple venues and have nobody film it, you know, like and uh, never release with the script. Just leave it to people's memories. Sure. Because you know? I feel like it kind of takes something away from things now where there's always like some HD quality, you know, <laughs> video record of it because like you, you, you kind of miss the atmosphere and the mood or whatever. And in certain ways, I think people's memory of that emotive quality in the place at the time is a more accurate record of what you can see like in verbatim on the on the hd footage or whatever so with even cnn when we were doing the unveiling we limited them severely as to like one we limited them to like one camera in one spot at the event kind of thing it was like a track though like it was like a you know, there was like a side lane or whatever that they could go through. Um, but but why would you want to do that? Because we didn't want it to get in the way of the event. Oh, you know, we, we were like, that was ab- the most important. absolutely yeah. no cameras in front of the stage type of Got thing. It. Because we had like a real thrash band playing and, you know, people started moshing and everything. And we didn't want like, if, if we weren't careful with our media, like all these events would come off. They would just be staged events, right? Uh-huh. Like. The unveiling event would have been completely different. Like there would have been like a semicircle of media cameras in front of the stage, and then the rest of the people who were actually there for the event for would it. feel like uh. they were just kind of watching mm. a studio set. You know, sure. like it wouldn't be a real event uh-huh. at all. But there was a real authenticity to that event that you know CNN being there didn't take away from. But at the time, like Lisa Ling was really nice. You know, I did a lot of kind of 
you know, background negotiations with what we would do and what we wouldn't do, you know, what we would agree to. And like, just like with Penny and her documentary, we weren't going to stage anything. We weren't going to reenact anything, you know, you either caught it or you didn't, yeah. you know, we weren't going to go that reality TV yeah. route where everything's actually staged type of thing. But I just remember I had this moment of terror, like two hours before it was going to air because I hadn't seen it, you know, the CNN piece. And I was... But you going, lived it, though. I, but I didn't know what they were going to run. You know yeah. what I mean? I just didn't know what they were going to say about yeah. it. And so I, I was having friends over because we were going to all watch it air. You know, mm-hmm. they were just coming over. And I remember I picked up some liquor at the liquor store. And then when I was walking home, I f- suddenly felt like I got punched in the gut and I nearly dropped what I had purchased <laughs> because it, it just, like, all of a sudden, this wave of nausea hit me. And I thought, what was I thinking? There is no <laughs> way... CNN, you know, is going to give us a fair shake. I was just like, what the fuck is wrong with my head? Like, why did I agree to any of this? I was like, this is it. You know, this is like the, this is like people's introduction to us. Like, millions of viewers are going to, I was just, I was catastrophizing, you know, I'm like, I'm fucking ruined. By the time, (laughs) by the time it aired, I was already drunk and I was just watching it thinking like, here it comes, you know, and I was just watching scene after scene. I'm like, okay, all right that's fine you know next scene this is same like when i first watched hail satan you know the final cut because i had no editorial control over that but uh it's like when i first see these things it's like i can't even see it objectively it's like i don't even remember what played only that only that uh it was accurate or it wasn't in certain parts so i think that was one of the things that brought us to a bigger audience at that time Uh And so and that then, aired before the film came out? Oh, yeah. That was like a good couple years Whoa. before the film came out. Irritating story about that was Penny tried to buy some footage from CNN because they, they had all this extra... They were following us around for a while and got... You know, and then they cut it all down to just 45 minutes. So yeah. they had a ton of material. And Turner, I guess, you know, it's Turner yeah. that runs CNN. They wanted to charge something like some exorbitant fee, like $500 per second of the footage Whoa. or whatever. It's like... Uh-huh. Yeah, you know they're never gonna use it. Yeah, now. I already I just I don't know, that kind of pisses me off. Like they got ad revenue from the show they aired. They should just be like, it's cool, use it or whatever. But yeah, I get it. I get it. I guess. Yeah, we're we're never gonna use it. Let's put a reasonable price on it. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rather than not have anybody pay anything because it's prohibitively expensive. Yeah. So you know, like I always wonder, like who um. Like, when you see things like documentaries and it's, like, not favorable, like, they obviously didn't get the opportunity to veto anything like you did, you know? I mean, what what gave you, like, the sort of, like, what was your feelings when when you were like, all right, we're going to do this documentary, we have have no way to veto anything, it's just going to, it is going to be what it is. Like, what if it just fucked you guys up, you know, like... Well, that that was, you know, that was a real possibility, but... What what nobody could really know, especially from seeing the film, is that like it wasn't like Penny Lane came along and I you know and I said, Wow, somebody wants to do a documentary about us, let's let's do it. The fact of the matter was is like before Penny came along wanting to do a documentary about us, a lot of people wanted to do documentaries uh. about us. And so I had gone through a bunch of pitches already and they were a hard no every yeah. single time. Okay. And the effect was is that these people's 
pitches were often pretty insulting. Like, oh, yeah. They, they felt they knew what the Satanic Temple was. They felt like we would be willing to do the kind of reality. Because some of these pitches were actually for reality show type uh. things, you know, for like uh, some kind of network doing like a series or whatever. And just like the, a lot of them were also these kind of pitches where they were going to humanize the Satanists of the Satanic Temple and I think they don't realize like how uninterested in that we are. Uh-huh. Like I've, I, you know, I try to give like media tips to our chapters, and I don't want people to fall into that habit where they feel like we have to be respectable about our lifestyles uh-huh. or whatever, or yeah. ingratiate ourselves to the normals or whatever, or or bend over backwards to say like, oh no, we don't do anything you'd be offended by. It's like. I'm more concerned with just like just telling them no. We have equal access. We have equal rights under the law. You know, as and as long as we're not breaking the law, we don't care if we offend your moral sensibilities uh-huh. in any other way. <laughs> you know, and uh, which probably brings me back to your question somewhere, which I forgot what that was. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, about doing the documentary at all oh, yeah. and what, <laughs> what made me decide to do that. Because it is a great documentary. I mean, I, I left the theater well, feeling right. like... Right, Penny's a great filmmaker, yeah. though. And in fact, when Penny first came, first suggested doing documentary, it was first her producer, uh, Gabriel, who, who said he really liked what we were doing, thought a documentary could be you know, in the offing or whatever. I, I thought... No, you know, just I, I didn't want that done. However, I also felt that as a spokesperson for a bigger organization, I still had a duty to hear her out. Sure. But I was, uh. but I felt certain my answer was going to be no, yeah. right? So uh, she invited me to New York to meet with her and her producer, and she was also doing a screening of the film that she had just done, you know, recently at that time which was called Nuts, and it was about this quack doctor, uh, early 20th century, who was claiming to uh, transplant goat testicles into guys to, to uh, make them more virile. You know, it was a really well-done documentary, wow. and I, okay. I, I really loved how she put together the narrative for uh-huh. it. You know, it was like she, uh, she obviously put a lot of thought into the narrative construction in ways that a lot of documentaries just don't think about narrative construction. A lot of documentaries are just like a chronological timeline that goes, you know, in in Penny's documentary was, I I really appreciate the way it was thought out. And then when she was doing the Q&A, she was talking about disputes she had had with anti-vaxxers. And that made me think, hey, maybe I can sell her on doing something gray faction related, you oh, know, yeah. because I was saying like, I never get journalists to cover how we fight back against quackery in the, in the mental health care field. So I thought, you know, if she does a documentary that goes in that direction, this could really work out, you know? So I talked with her afterwards and I started telling her all about this and she said, well, we could definitely work something, you know, uh-huh. work something in or whatever. And, and I think, you know, there's that segment in the satanic panic and hail Satan. And I think, that might be partially to uh, fulfill some contractual obligation sure. to cover oh, that yeah. topic yeah. to a certain degree. I don't even remember at this point. But um, she really took her time to understand 
who, who we really are and what this meant to us, uh-huh. you know, without coming to us in trying to say, like, this is the story I want to tell about you guys without knowing what that story is. That was what made me shut down on everybody else. That was what made me, like, you know... Say no, absolutely not. You know, to a lot. Of Instead of her controlling the narrative, she was going to let it. Yeah, she was out. learning what the narrative was, and she yeah. took she took a lot of time to do that uh-huh. too. And I also told her like, okay, ultimately this isn't this isn't just up to me. Like at the point where she had my endorsement, I also made her pitch this to our council and come out a meeting and talk about the kind of film she wanted to make. And even at that point. Uh, you know, she wasn't given the green light. Everybody uh, wanted huh. more information. Wow. They put her through the, yeah. you know, yeah. they made her run the gauntlet. But then at a certain point, like, once we did sign off and say, all right, we're, you know, you can do the documentary. And we could only put certain restrictions on it. You know, we could only say what we wouldn't do. And uh-huh. I was saying, like, I'm not going to let this become uh, any type of a biography about me. You uh-huh. know, like, I don't care about, you know, telling my autobiographical tale. And I... You know, as I've gone through my spiel earlier, I feel that that diminishes the work of all the other people. You know, I should be speaking more as just like a spokesperson sure. for a larger movement kind of thing. It is the best of my ability. And we didn't want it to have any of those reality aspects, you know, not investigating the private lives of Satanists and setting up those kinds of situations in which, well, let's see you argue with your family now about your religious convictions. Like, you know, I really wanted to speak to the issues. Yeah, and, kind of, of and I course, think as yeah. a, a, a film, it really did those it things. Did, it did. But just the same, we had no editorial control. And ultimately, she could have broken a lot of those agreements with us, and there's not much we could have done, you know. Uh-huh. Even if it did fall under litigation, it probably would have been worth it, you know, for, yeah, for them. And sure. I think documentarians do that kind of thing. Uh-huh. You know, you see people who've been followed around by cameras for, you know, years at a time, still, you know, and apparently... You know, probably How long having, was the process? It was like three years. Wow. Something like that. Uh-huh. But, you know, you, you do see documentaries come out about people, like, who've been followed around by those camera crews and probably develop real relationships with them, and, uh-huh. like, the documentaries come out and they look like shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and that was another thing, like, with the... Like I was saying with the CNN piece, how, you know, beforehand I... I almost collapsed in uh, yeah. in in, uh, in anxiety over it, like knowing that they had a final cut of the film and knowing I had no idea what it was because you know it doesn't take long once you're wired and once you have the cameras on you to just start acting naturally uh-huh. to the degree where you lose sense of the fact that you're being filmed, you know, and you're wondering like shit, what all did I talk about? Yeah. What, what all happened? <laughs> you know, like what. What do I have to worry about here? What what could this, what what could the outcome of this be? You know. Yeah. And even thinking about like what the worst case scenario is, and thinking like I don't think anything bad. You know, I don't think there's anything bad. But you also think, you know, what could they make of anything? Sure. You know, I don't know. They it's just, it bad. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's it, terribly stressful. And it's they'll, like, they'll it's edit. Real, like that was three years of stressful, right? Sure. There. I mean, they'll turn your words, right? I mean, you said it, like, just get, like, pieces for, like, you know, little quotes and then just make it out to be something else, you know? Yeah. 
I, I did this. This is not really necessarily related, but I was on this um, My Ghost Story TV show as a, as a joke with this friend of mine, and our whole goal was to talk about ghost farts. And we said ghost farts so many times in our interview, and they cut out every single one, made it completely linear, and there's not one time that we said ghost farts. And I was like, this is fucking crazy that they can edit that <laughs> and make cohesive conversations and like pieces. Just chunk, just taking chunks. You of had it. one message to get. We out were just, there, we got to say ghost, ghost fart on TV. <laughs> like it was like History Channel. We're like we're gonna do this. Yeah. Like we gotta talk about ghost farts. Instead, they have you talking about the geopolitical like... construction. Of the, right? <laughs> yeah, and you're all pissed. Yeah. yeah, no, it made it seem like we were like legitimately there for like this real ghost story, and we're like, no, not even close. Right. Whatever. <laughs> um. Well, I have one one more question. And I don't know. I don't know if you want to add anything, but like, I, 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 and this might be like not the best thing to ask, but I, I I'm. I, oh, shit. Well, no, Here we like, go. like, I, um, <laughs> you know, I, like, what's the worst religion? Like, I always think about like, is is it Mormonism or is it Scientology? It's probably Scientology, but like, I wonder what your take is on that. Like, what is like the most fucked up? recognized organ organized religion that that is that exists or not even just like yeah like currently you know like it's still functioning as like a as a religion i think you know i i i think naturally as a satanist i really have uh uh you know i look really harshly upon the abrahamic religions you know uh, judaism islam and, and christianity but of course we have allies and People who identify with each, but you know, I look at the texts and I think that's that's brutal and archaic and yeah, yeah. harkens back to feudalistic, monarchistic, you know, or even tribal times where it's like I feel like we've really grown beyond that. But some people, you know, they can really construct a positive message from it. So I don't really think there's it's a question of like what the worst religion is. I think. I, 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 I've, I've developed the, the real belief that superstition, even if it seems benign, is going to metastasize into destructive forms, you know, whether it becomes those destructive forms in different subsets that do brutal things or, or even like the idea of exorcism. I think people have this kind of idealization of it that uh, that uh, that protects it from the critical scrutiny where it's like okay people are contextualizing of their inner demons their psychological problems as being literal demons and if they can have them expunged through this type of uh you know religious therapy then what's wrong with that well what's wrong with that is that people literally believe it and then sometimes they believe that their children are literally demonic creatures and sometimes they murder them like so you might not see the harm in a superstition at time, but it comes out, you know what I mean? And there was a time when I thought that the idea of the soul was only something that comforted people. And there was really no purpose in, in pressing back against people who claim that they believe there is an eternal soul residing in somebody's body that leaves it after they die and goes into an eternal afterlife. Well, now you have this concept of a soul, I think, being the primary force in reproductive rights battles where you're arguing about, you know, cellular fetuses that don't have any higher cerebral functioning, can't have no have no perception of pain, have no no impulses of that type. 
and you have people arguing that they're nonetheless ensouled, or they might not be arguing that, but they believe that, you know, and that's the motivating force behind their their legislation. So that that hurts, you know. And I remember during the uh, Bush era, there was that uh, pushback against stem cell research, mm-hmm. and a lot of that seemed to be rooted in the idea that stem cells were ensouled, right? And you know, people kind of forgot about that, but there, there's still a, a real dysfunction now in, in in that kind of research due to people's religious convictions. It falls back on the idea of the soul. And my dad has Parkinson's now. He's he's, he's pretty uh, pretty developed in his Parkinson's. You know, and in you know, this this is the kind of realm that could really help people like him. So there again, you have another kind of like. Uh, comforting superstition that I think has negative consequences mm-hmm. for people and I think superstition in all its forms is, is ultimately going to manifest itself in destructive forms and people like to compare the uh, Islamic texts against Christian texts and you know so try to determine which one is worse and which one is better yeah yeah it's it's not really helpful. It depends on who's reading it and how they practice it and how literally they they believe in it. You know, like you can certainly find items in Christian texts that justify brutality and murder oh, in yeah. the same ways you can find it in Islamic texts. And like I said, you also find the more peaceful sects that look at things like jihad as entirely internal, as an internal war that must be fought with oneself. Sure, you know. Yeah. In order to attain, you know, whatever, whatever holy stature they want. So here yeah. I am, like thinking I want to talk about like a magic underwear or like a pyramid scheme with aliens or something. <laughs> you know, like the more absurd shit. And you went to like the literal, like super fucked up stuff. So yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess I didn't articulate my question very well, but you definitely answered it. I mean, yeah. I and I agree one hundred. Oh, I, I can I can envision benign forms of Scientology if you read the no, Scientology yeah, yeah, text. Yeah. It's, its problem is is it's run by uh, it's run by fundamentalists. Yeah. You know, it, it's run by uh, bizarre uh, bizarre autocrat, you know, and, and David Miscavige, you know. And it is very centralized as a corporation. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you don't find like you, you don't find a whole lot of like dissident Scientological sects, you yeah. know, that, that take a more liberal interpretation. You're either with Scientology or you're not, yeah. you know? Yeah. All right. What do you think? That's great. And there you have it. That is episode number 13 with Lucian Greaves. Um, We'd like to say thanks to the Satanic Temple. Thanks to um, to you listeners. And please check out our previous podcast. Um, they're on 31G's SoundCloud. And they're also on um, um, iTunes uh, under 31G Podcast. And don't forget to check out Hail Satan, now streaming on Hulu. I'm sure other places. And also check out the Satanic Temple's website. Go there, make a donation, buy some merch. All of that helps keep this movement going. Thank you, everybody. Um, Stay tuned for the next episode. Later. Later.